Chapter 7, Tools of the War on Waste Over the years, as we applied the concepts of the tribal knowledge paradigm to real companies, we used tools of the trade in unique ways. We borrowed ideas from friends, or we made up our own. Some of these are worth noting. The 120-20 Rule of Profits There is a corollary to the 80-20 rule that gives us greater insight into the happenings in business. A business turnaround consulting friend showed us this rule. That consulting friend was Don Bebo. He's a venture capital investor now, but in his former life, he was a management consultant who specialized in turning around distressed companies. We all know this rule. 120% of a company's profits come from 20% of the customers, 20% of the salesmen, or 20% of the products or services. We named it the Bebo 120-20 Rule of Profits in honor of Don, who pointed this out to us some years ago. The reason that this rule is so important in developing an effective customer-driven strategy is it will truly allow us to focus our attention on those customers, salesmen, and products that deliver the most profit to the company. It may also provide substantial information to focus a company while it tries to understand why these customers, salesmen, or products are more profitable. Consider this example with one client who had about 100 customers. 40 of these customers accounted for about 90% of his business. The lowest 40% accounted for less than 5% of his business. In analyzing his accounts, about 40% of the bidding activity was consumed by these same 40 customers, the bottom 5%. The drafting department had the problem with these 40 customers, and they had a difficult time measuring profitability. Don't get hung up here. Take the simple approach, so we did. We established that each phone call to a customer or visit to a customer was given a point. Each bid was given 50 points. These then translated into points of overhead. We then used these points to measure how much activity was required by each customer for each dollar of bidding, and then measured how many dollars were won. So when the salesman had to decide where they were going to spend their time, They basically went to the customers that had the fewest points per dollar of resulting bids won. A simple formula, but it worked. The interesting corollary to this rule is that the only way for this rule to exist is if some of the customer's salesmen or products or services are unprofitable. Unlike the 80-20 rule, which only deals with positive numbers, the 120-20 rule allows for negative numbers or losses. In the case of the unprofitable customers, salesmen, and products, additional analysis needs to be determined whether or not they're worth keeping. Or put another way, this rule helps you determine whether all customers really should be kept. At worst, you may keep them all, but redefine the relationship with the low-profit customers to make them profitable. Keep them on as customers, but don't spend as much time with them. Make them earn their support. We have a graph in the book that shows a 
a demonstration of what we mean. It shows one, the top quintile of customers at 120%, the next quintile at 50% of the total sales, another at 5%. The bottom 80% were about 20, minus 20%, and the worst quintile is minus 55%, and that all totals up to uh, 100% basically showing the 120-20 rule of profits. In this particular case, identifying the profitable customers allowed the engineering or drafting department to give better turnaround of jobs to the high-profit customers. It meant redefining their relationship with those customers that were not profitable by giving them less service or longer turnaround time for a job. These customers ultimately got it and stopped wasting their time. This freed up the drafting personnel to better serve the profitable customers. We remember a presentation where one CEO in the audience had a grin on his face after we introduced the 120-20 rule of profits. His mind was working and we wouldn't have noticed him if he hadn't made a big deal out of opening his briefcase to pull out a notebook. He started writing furiously. Clearly, his mind was working. Afterwards, he came up, thanked us for our great insight for the 820-20 rule of profits, and he left hurriedly. The next day, he called to tell us what he had done. He owned a business, and he had five salesmen. One of the five salesmen generated 60% of his revenue and about 150% of his profits. One of the other salesmen took up all his time, always complained about the products that they didn't have, the orders that he was going to lose, and so on. The CEO went back to the office, called a non-productive salesman into his office, and fired him immediately. He realized during the presentation that it wasn't that the guy was bad. He just kept the CEO from being able to provide the support to the other salesman. In fact, what he did changed the sales organization to help the successful salesman make more proposals, and the, the other three salesmen support him. It was a good deal for everyone because everyone made more money. Who would know if that was the right move? But he called us regularly to thank us and still takes us out to lunch once a quarter to pick our brains for more ideas. As a corollary to the 120-20 rule, Don Bebo also had another axiom, feed the winners, starve the losers. His position here is that if you have winning products or salesmen, do everything to make them as successful as you can. However, when you have a loser, don't terminate them or in their product development effort immediately. Just cut back on the financial support to see what happens. Sometimes the failure is timing in a particular market or maybe not enough time to complete the project for whatever reason. But if you have a salesman or a new product that is failing, don't kill them. Just reduce the resources available because there are a lot of successes that failed in their initial efforts and drive dribbling funds to the team involved. You never know. But once you have played that card to its limit, you cut your losses, but not without first trying. This line of thinking fits well with our work with the 567 rule, which we will talk about in a minute. That is, 5% of the effort gets 67% of the results. When a CEO is doling out money for new products, 
he should try doing a product with 5% of the effort that takes 67% of the features. This gets you to the test market quickly and then see what happens. It's amazing how much information is extracted from the market this way. On this subject, one of the authors often refers to his mentor from graduate school, Don McCaskill, who was a former CEO at Warner Lambert. This CEO used to say that it was counterintuitive, but he knew that as a CEO, he was doing a good job when 50% of his projects were successful. His reason for saying this was a corollary to the 567 rule. You never know all that you think you know. When you release a product with the 5% effort, quickly test marking on a small scale, you get good customer feedback. By introducing a scaled-down version of the product, you get more useful information to guide your decision to spend more money on a winning product. Or you might get information that can guide the direction of a re-engineered product from a loser to a winner. The 5% of the effort for small pilots provides the opportunity to do more tests. Good test markets get more funding, whereas poor tests end up in termination or re-engineering of the product. His conclusion was to get more products into play than feed the winners with more money and starve the losers with less money. Good advice? We think so. More on the 567 rule, or what we call one sigma. The 567 rule is a subset of the 2080 rule or 8020 rule. We discovered it during the war on waste. We were always in a hurry to get projects completed, and we didn't have time to look at 20% of the problem. But we did have time to look at 5% of the problem. When we did that, we kept seeing we were getting about 60 to 70% of the targeted benefit. We called it the 567 rule without really knowing much about it. It just seemed to work, but it really didn't make sense until we stepped back and looked at what was happening. It turns out that what we were seeing was effectively the higher leverage point on the Pareto curve as shown in the curve below. Bible knowledge paradigms 567 rule to the Pareto curve below, you will find that 5% cost or effort horizontal axis will achieve the benefit of 67% on the vertical axis. Very simply, this small project mentality creates a point of highest leverage on achieving likely results while gaining experience and know-how. Do the least to get the most. The leverage comes if you look at the ratio of the 567 rule, 5 to 67, or approximately 1 to 13, and then at the 2080 rule, or of the ratio of 20 to 80 to get 1 to 4. In essence, you get three times advantage over the 2080 rule when you use the 567 rule. The key here is that the experience gained by delivering the 5% solution gives you a better chance of success when the project expands to reach for more results, assuming the ROI remaining is justified. We think that 567 thinking 
is the way that you should run a business. For instance, when you develop a new product, deliver 5% of the effort, and you'll get 67% of the feature benefits, and then you can add other features over time. The rationale here is that 5% of the effort gets you to market quicker, and you get the minimum needed for a test launch prototype. The 5% scale prototype features can serve as the foundation for building an aggressive product expansion plan. It gives you a jump on the competition, and you have your progressive plan of features available to quickly introduce new versions of the product. Our theory on new products is that you want to get the product off the shelf quickly and immediately begin generating profits. The problem with most developments of new products is that the engineer is never satisfied until he or she has developed the 100% solution. If an engineer is left to go for the 100% solution, it is most often likely to deliver, it is most often overshot to deliver 110% to 120% of the features. This is folly and very expensive. Don't let engineers make these decisions. Get the product to the market fast with a strong core of basic but limited features. Use the profits to pay for expansion and improvements and be recognized as an intelligent source of great innovation. Managing... Understand why there is a problem letting engineers work to reach the 100% solution. Our point is it will take forever and cost a fortune. So we advise CEOs to get the product out and see if anyone actually likes it or wants it. Once on the market, new features can be added. That is the end of Chapter 7 reading. However, this sort of repeats the material that we had in Chapter 10, Parts 1, 2, and 3 in the Tribal Knowledge Paradigm that were previously read to you. So if you want to get more information, go back and listen to them or uh, just actually go get the book and read it and find out a little bit more about each of the ways. But that's the end of Chapter 7 of How to Win the War on Waste. Thank you. By the way, if you want to find more about this, uh, our material, go to www.org. WarOnWasteAcademy.com